This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms, in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Q. Today, my conversation with the poet Bradley Peters. And before we get to the interview, I want to talk about the sonnet for a second. Even when I say the word sonnet, what comes to mind? Maybe sitting in English class in high school, you're learning about poetry. Maybe you're specifically learning about Shakespeare. You know, shall I compare thee to a summer's day? You know, sonnets, these poems about love and, and longing. So the sonnet you're about to hear from the Canadian poet Bradley Peters is about a different type of longing, a longing to feel human again, a longing for love, but from yourself, and a longing to be free. That's because Bradley Peters writes sonnets about his experience with incarceration. He was in and out of jail several times as a teenager before spending four months in prison in his early 20s. And when Bradley discovered the sonnet, he was studying creative writing at university. It was years after those experiences. But something clicked. And he'll tell you, and I mean, I haven't stopped thinking about this, to be honest. It really stuck with me. That the sonnet is the perfect form to write about being in prison and the systems and circumstances that put people there because of the structures of the sonnet. I mean, I can't really explain it better than he can. Just make sure you stick around for that part of the conversation. Bradley's debut poetry collection is called Sonnets from a Cell. He came into a studio in CBC Vancouver, and we talked about it. Bradley, welcome to the show. Hi, Tom. How are you? I'm great. Happy to be here. (laughs) I'm good. It's nice to to have you. We were just talking before uh, we turned the microphones on about how you were ready for me to ask you how you were. Yes. I couldn't think. I just, I'm great. I couldn't think of a... Really awesome answer for that one. Well, the honest answer is what I'm going for, and yeah. it sounds like sounds like you're doing all right. I am. Um, before we before we hear the poem uh, or the first poem we're going to hear today, I figured we should take everybody back to English class a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> what, what what is a sonnet, and what was its original purpose? Well, a sonnet, I guess, the bare minimum is a poem with 14 lines, but uh, classically, it um, has something called a volta which is a fancy Italian word for a turn. So there should be a point in the poem where it kind of turns on itself and addresses itself. Um, It can also have meter and rhythm. It could have rhyme. But basically a contemporary sonnet should just have 14 lines. That's what you can kind of get away with these days. And what what was the function of the sonnet in the early days? You know, sonnets were, back in the old days, traditionally poems that were psychological. They're usually addressing a state of mind or they're romantic. They can be addressing a lover. But yeah, they're really, they're small poems. So they are contained and they have hyper focus on one person or a few aspects of an idea. So that kind of contained form for me felt more appropriate to talk about the prison system and also just to just to have little snapshots of 
moments of that system. And yeah, it really helped me kind of access that sort of that world that I hadn't been writing about in my life before that I hadn't really been addressing. We should talk more about that and a little bit about the why you wrote these sonnets and and sort of how you discovered the, the sonnet form as something that would be helpful to you. But uh, before, yeah. before we do that, it, m- it might be useful to hear something from the collection. So you, sure. you were going to read A Visit to the Box, right? Yes. Um, yeah, well, at your leisure. I should say this poem starts with an epigraph, which mm-hmm. is a short quote. And it says, While leaving the body merely singed, the torture of prolonged isolation scorches some capacity within the mind or soul to empathize with fellow human beings. And that's from an academic journal, the University of Toronto. A visit to the box. It is a room, the shape of my own face. The room is heaped with jumpsuits and bobos. Two guards laugh, stare, yell strip through tempered glass. The real room is inside another room. Its steel door snaps shut like a mouth. It reeks of bleach. The room with no windows is scrubbed skull white. I am a tongue stuck in its jaw. I thrash and bark nonsense. The room makes me feral, cry fam, skip chow, crave blood. I pace and pace. I need to try to love myself, but the room won't allow it. It dilates into one rage box. The room moves through me. I stretch each fibrous limb. I bare white teeth. My skin shines. I am clean and out to kill. It's Bradley Peters reading his poem, A Visit to the Box, from his new collection of poetry, Sonnets from a Cell. Bradley, that's that sonnet's about your time in, in solitary confinement, right? Yeah, yep. That's a poem that is trying to capture one aspect of what it's like to be in solitary confinement. Um, I was in solitary for 30 days, and essentially it's an extra small cell with no window, and they leave the lights on 24-7, and then they let you out for 20 minutes every day to go take a shower. But it's it's like an open shower, so the guards can kind of watch you with no curtain. And uh, yeah, you take a shower, and then you can kind of get a new jumpsuit, clean clothes, and then walk around for maybe 15 minutes to try to, like, stretch your legs and stuff. So it's, uh, it's not yeah, fun. It's I mean, it sounds uh, the understatement of the year, Bradley. It's, it sounds awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Apparently, they've just recently, Canada has banned solitary confinement, but um, I've been reading some articles about it, and it's kind of a situation where maybe they just renamed it. I have to look more into it, but... Some people are saying that it's kind of just under a new name. And then, um, but yeah, a rose by any other name smells just as sweet, right? So. Right. I, I've, been, I've been, you know, of course, I have, the, I have the, the media's depiction of solitary confinement and novels that I've read that have depicted solitary confinement and memoirs yeah. that yeah. I've read that have depicted solitary confinement, not to mention news mm-hmm. articles and all that. But there's a line in the poem about, about your experience here that really stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. It was, I need to try and love myself, but the room won't allow it. Yeah. And um, that's kind of the crazy part about, I guess, being an inmate in general is trying to hold on to your humanity, I guess. You want to 
yeah, you want to try to stay human. You want to try to stay empathetic. You want to think about your loved ones and everything around you is pushing you not to be able to do that. If you allow that kind of empathy and sensitivity into your life, it can make you vulnerable. Vulnerable how? Because you're kind of, when you're locked in solitary especially, you are fighting to not go crazy. So if you allow any sort of, it's not like it's weakness, but if you allow yourself to dwell on what is happening to you too much, you're at risk of, of losing a part of yourself, I guess. You were incarcerated first as a teenager, start when you were around 16 or 17, and then you were sentenced to four months in prison um, mm-hmm. when you were 20. Like, what were you like back then in, in those years of your life? <laughs> I was definitely a crazy kid. I was like just a real punk. I don't know why I was always just getting into so much trouble. Uh, I started getting arrested when I was like 12, 13, just for dumb stuff, just like trying to break into buildings and throwing things at cars and getting into fights a lot. And then, of course, hanging out with the wrong people as I grew up, it sort of uh, escalated into more serious crimes. And I started getting arrested a lot for assaults and I got arrested for a robbery. And essentially, when you get into that sort of cycle of arrests, you're endlessly on probation. And Mm. then when you're on probation, you're not allowed to go out after eight o'clock. You're not allowed to hang out with these people who are your best friends who you can't be away from. So every time you get caught with those people or out late, then you breach your probation, you get arrested again, you go back to jail for the night or for the weekend, and then probation gets renewed. And it's kind of an endless cycle. So I was on probation from when I was an early teenager till 23, 24. It's finally when um, I was able to step away from that. You end up going to UBC for creative writing. And I can tell that poetry, I don't know, kind of blew your mind a little bit or like, or it, 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 it did something to you. <laughs> That's like, true. Well, what was it? What, what, what happened there? I feel like I went to university to try to step away from, like I was saying, step away from my old life and try to create and forge a new identity for myself. And I'd always loved reading. And so I thought I would like to try and try to be a writer. And so I, I went to university and I was trying my hardest to write these short stories and these fiction stories that were like Raymond Carver or like Solinger or all of my heroes when I was a kid. And it was so painful and so difficult. And then I took a poetry class uh, with a great local poet here in Vancouver, Rob Taylor. And he kind of showed me the contemporary poetry scene. And uh, I got my mind blown by just seeing how in poetry it seems like people's unique voices are what is what makes them so valuable and how when people can just be honest and state clearly in a way that can't really be said in any other art form just who they are and and show the world themselves 
right. with their unique voice. That's what is valued. So that kind of liberated me to feel like, yeah, I can just be myself. Uh, I don't need to try to be anybody else. And, and that's what makes me valuable as a poet. Oh, that's so interesting. Like, I'm just going to say this back to you to make sure that I understand it. Like you're, yeah. com- you're coming out of, you're coming out of incarceration. So there's like mm-hmm. an integration process anyway. You're like, okay, how do I, how do I assimilate back into society? So you, yeah. you, and you're at university and there's like further assimilation that's going to happen there, but it's, <laughs> it's like artistic assimilation. Like, oh, there yeah. to be, to, to be an artist, I need to be like like Salinger who I really love or Raymond Carver yeah. who, who I really love. But what poetry teaches you to, teaches you is not assimilation is that there's yeah. value in, in your own self. That's true. Yeah. But it wasn't actually such a, such a simple process for me. I feel like after prison, I went back into construction and then I was working in camps in um, Alberta and, and then I, in Saskatchewan and kind of getting really depressed and not knowing what I was going to do with my life. And then after that, I quit my job. I started hitchhiking uh, across Canada. I ended up actually in St. John's, Newfoundland. Hello. <laughs> I didn't hear you bring it up yet, so I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a clock that goes down, and if I don't oh. hit it, I get docked 10 bucks off my paycheck. So thanks oh, for helping wow. me out. I, was, I appreciate so it. So that's what it was. Okay. So I should have just waited, maybe. <laughs> you just made my day there. Okay. So, you're, so you, you went out to St. John's. By the way, that's where I'm from. Yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, well, yeah. So I was just kind of like bumming around, thinking about what I wanted to do with my life, not wanting to go home and uh, fall back into like the same kind of situation that I was trying to get away from. And that's when I decided to go to university. But of course, coming from the world of construction, and maybe I should say that growing up, my family isn't the university type. So my family really struggles with a lot of things like mental illness, drug addiction, homelessness. So being in university, I didn't want to be too transparent with where I was coming from. So yeah, I, yes, I did I did meet Rob Taylor and I did learn about poetry, but I was still kind of writing poems about I don't know, my dog and right, right. these like a birthday thing that I went to. I was trying to write <laughs> about anything except for uh prison. Yeah. And then it wasn't until my last class at UBC I took a class on form with Shreda Warner, another great local poet, and I learned about the sonnet. And that's when things kind of clicked for me. And that's when I just kind of had an epiphany. I think Sharita probably guided me in that direction, maybe subconsciously. And everything kind of came together. And I started writing these sonnets about prison. And I realized that it was just what I wanted to do. So I just kept going with it. But not just what you wanted to do, but at the beginning of our conversation, you said something to me like sonnets are the, are the right form or the, the, the perfect form yeah. to, to write about what it's like to be in prison. Why is that? I think so. Well, I think that the sonnet is, uh, it's so contained and it looks like a little cell on the page. And there's so many rules and regulations, 14 lines, you want to have the Volta, you, you know, it kind of has to be a lyric poem and it's trying to squeeze you into its rules and regulations, almost like what it's like being in prison. But within those rules, you need to try to express yourself and your individuality however you can. So it felt like a really organic 
form for me. And it did happen organically. I just started writing these poems without intending to write about prison. It just, it started to happen and I just couldn't, I didn't want to stop. It was honestly one of the most exciting times of my artistic life was writing these poems and it writing every day and just thinking about them every day for years. But but in addition to the like the the joy and excitement that comes with creating anything mm-hmm. was specifically writing these sonnets about your your time in in prison. And I love what you said just there, the idea that you know it sort of looks like a cell, there's so many numbers, there's so many rules, yeah. it kind of mirrors what it's like to be in prison. But when you start writing these poems, do you start to reflect differently on on your time there? I think so <laughs> I've been asked kind of like, was it a therapeutic experience for me or was it, you know, did I learn something about my time there? And I'm always, my gut reaction is always to say no, yeah. that it wasn't cathartic and it wasn't healing because I think I'm defensive. I don't want anybody to ever think that the system worked for me. Yeah. I don't want people to be like, yeah, see, it was a good thing then. You learned from your mistakes. Well, I did learn from my mistakes, but I don't like the idea of people justifying the prison system or feeling like I'm justifying the prison system. But yeah. but uh, just to be clear here, feeling differently about your time can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't That's just true. have to mean catharsis. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I want to say, <laughs> I want to say no, but but I actually, you know, that it, it wouldn't be true because I was afraid to talk about my experiences to anyone. And um, I didn't want people to know about my past. But I feel like being able to write these poems, publish them, and kind of embrace, you know, like come what may, but just to accept that part of myself, I feel like that self-acceptance is something new for me. And I think that, uh, yeah, maybe I did, I did learn something. It was um, helpful in some way, I guess, yeah. We'll be right back. Think of your favorite one-hit wonder. Or that overpriced toy your parents would never let you have. Or that TV show that no one else remembers because it was canceled way too soon. Now, what if we could fix it? I'm Francesca Ramsey. And I'm Delon Grant. And after 20 years of friendship, we are now hosting a new nostalgia podcast called Let Me Fix It. Each episode, we'll dig into our favorite celebrities, shows, and brands of yesteryear, and then imagine what it would take to repackage them for relevance today. Think of our show as an intervention, but with way less stakes. So subscribe to Let Me Fix It wherever you get your favorite podcasts. It, it is within my my tendency to focus on the self, you know, when I when I yeah. when I talk to people to people like yourself who are artists. But one of the things that really struck me about the book struck me on the on the very opening page of the book is mm-hmm. you before you get into the sonnets, you quote from a speech that Nelson Mandela gave in 1990 after being released from prison, and uh, it says, "No one truly knows a nation until one has been inside its jails. A nation should not be judged by how it treats its highest citizens." but it's lowest ones. Why did you want to include that line yeah. at the top? Um, I feel like it's true. And I feel like everybody recognizes that it's true, <laughs> but people don't want to admit it, I guess. People, for some reason, like to think that 
a system that's focused on retribution instead of rehabilitation is a good thing. You know, it's like, if you can't do the time, don't do the crime. But I feel like people are better than that. And if they really just think about what kind of a nation we want to live in. Well, well stay, stay on that for a second, because Nelson Mandela says this after being released from prison in, in apartheid South Africa. There's a there's a tendency, perhaps in in this country, to think that's that was then or that was them, and mm-hmm. this 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 is us. Like, what do you hope that people in, in Canada who read this book learn about the way that this nation treats people in prison? Yeah, I guess that's true. Obviously, I don't know what it was like in prison as a black man, especially in South Africa during apartheid. But even if People like to think about Canada as being some progressive country, and we often compare ourselves more to the United States prison system. And people might think that it's so much worse in these other countries than it is in Canada. But that's just not true. I've been in the system, and it's it can be incredibly dehumanizing, violent, and inhumane. I, I mean, that's that's certainly what I took from from knowing that this this is a Canadian story and and reading that mm-hmm. at the at the top of the the collection of sonnets. It, um, I was hoping you might read one more before we before we go. I think you were going to read after my daily twenty minute shower break. Yep. Can can you can you set it up for us a little bit and and yeah. tell, tell us what this one was about? So I will say that this next poem is is a part of a series of sonnets in this book. It's it's called a crown of sonnets mm. or in Italian, it's called a corona, and essentially it means the last line of the previous poem becomes the first line of the next poem, and then the last line of the last poem has to be the same as the first line of the first poem. <laughs> so essentially that it creates like a closed loop, and it's almost like the last poem brings you back to the first one and starts the system over again, and you're stuck in this endless cycle, which I felt was a good form to talk about the prison system as well. Right, sort of right, like this of course. Endless right. getting caught in recidivism. So you might recognize the first line as the last line of the last poem. This poem also starts with an epigraph at the beginning. It says, It is only a matter of time, if you love life too much or fear violence too much, before you become a thing, no longer a man. That's from Jack Henry Abbott, his book, In the Belly of the Beast, Letters from Prison. After my daily 20-minute shower break, my skin shines. I am clean and out to kill. I am the last rainfall in September. It's almost midnight, and I am spreading into fine mist. I'm low-key romantic. I like the sounds of life within a storm. A door, a man laughing, a newspaper held above his head. I can lose my cool lash out, clear up on a dime, the flash flood as much as the rainbow, bits of blue sky, the day of the miscarriage, two lovers groping for the words, a moment of grace between the lightning and its violence, an immense solitude, a touch of wind, the surf, the pier, the river darkening. 
That was the Canadian poet Bradley Peters reading his sonnet after my daily 20-minute shower break. Bradley, it's such a, a joy to get to talk to you. And I've never met anyone who can, can talk to me about how this work is, is so meaningful and is impacting me, both through its content and through its form. Um, <laughs> so I, 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 I can't say enough about it. I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Um, thanks so much to Bradley Peters. Also, what a burn. Solid burn, by the way. What did he say? Uh, you know, I was in Newfoundland since you haven't brought it up yet. I just, this, he just, that's whatever that is. That's my, that's my kind of joke. Um, Bradley Peters, uh, his new collection is called Sonnets from a Cell. Great uh, Christmas gift, by the way. Uh, the other conversation we have up today is with Brenda Lee, speaking of Christmas. Brenda Lee saying, rocking around the Christmas tree. Do you know that Brenda Lee song, I'm Sorry? Canadian national anthem. It's a great, great, great song. Um, and Brenda Lee came on the show from her. For, she was talked to her from her home. Um, she's in her 80s now, from her home in Nashville. And we had a grand old yak about Elvis and the time the Beatles opened up for her. So go check that out wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you soon. Later on. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.